Everybody to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. Hey, hello everyone. It's us. Your co hosts, Aaron and Sean. And Sean, I'm the Sean. And I am the Aaron. And we are the Seriously Wrong Podcast. And we are naturally intelligent. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Is that the tangent we want to open with? I, <laughs> we've, we've done some episodes that touch on the, the construct of intelligence before. Yeah, I was just thinking in contrast to artificial. I guess it does like bring up like intelligence. As I wasn't. Oh, yeah, as opposed to artificial. Okay, I get it. Yeah. I thought I thought it was more of like a yeah, like weird IQ hierarchy kind of. That's what it right. inflamed in me. We've got an episode called IQ is Bullshit. Totally worth listening to if you want to understand why we are critical of the construct of IQ. And in particular, if you're interested in the racist narratives around race and IQ, I'd also recommend the Racism Not Race episode where we speak to um, some experts in the biology of so-called race and how it relates to racist narratives about intelligence and difference. Yeah, well, it makes a lot of sense that saying naturally intelligent would trigger those thought processes. There's, you know, there's some connections here between these things. But no, I just meant we're meat bodies with brains made of flesh Mm -hmm. and blood and we have bones and we're like intelligent i think humans as a species are an intelligent species oh yeah uh, and we're even not... babies are incredibly intelligent yeah i'm living with one right now and I've, i'm constantly impressed at what a newborn is capable of piecing together right right and that's in contrast to artificial intelligence i think people have a lot of misconceptions about ai and some of those misconceptions are undergirded by and supported by the terminology and language that we use right like artificial intelligence it's not really intelligence like we think about it in even like birds and animals and it's not it's not really that kind of intelligence it's kind of the wrong intuition pump this is like a statistical algorithm spitting out an answer and not an experiencing being yeah and like machine learning too like the machine doesn't actually learn it's making statistical inferences by a bunch of associations that it's been trained on but it hasn't really been trained in the sense that you would think about like a consciousness being trained on something it's being trained in that data is being filtered through it to build this associative network that can make it then create generative statistical assumptions about what might be a plausible text response to a question or piece of digital art etc yeah we use all these terms related to intelligence like training artificial intelligence machine learning even hallucinations because they're useful metaphors for kind of what's going on because it's hard to talk you can't talk about this topic without using all these terms and by using them you're implying all these things that like i don't think is true it just makes it really hard to keep clarity on because you want to talk about hallucinations but 
at the same time, you want to get across the idea that like an AI, when it's hallucinating, it's just the statistics are spitting out a wrong answer because it seemed likely to the algorithm and it maybe didn't have the right information in the training data. But that isn't the same thing as a person hallucinating. Like they're not experiencing a visual thing or like hearing voices that aren't there. The AI is not having this experience of something that's not real. It just the output is wrong. Yeah, so the language we use projects a consciousness that isn't there, and then that helps seed and facilitate this kind of very fanciful science fiction idea that language models, if they aren't already general intelligence, are very close to artificial general intelligence, which isn't the case. You know, there's we've talked about the huge gap between artificial limited intelligence and hypothetical artificial general intelligence. And it's possible that artificial general intelligence isn't even possible over a long period of time. Yeah, people who think language models are that, I feel like that's like pretty easy to say no to just outright. I feel like the best argument that we could build AGI right now is like if someone combined all these different things, like something that can recognize objects and images and something that can generate text and something that can create images, like do all these different things. But I don't know, even if stringing together all these different statistical models would create a general intelligence, like maybe it would, but I don't, if I had to bet, I would say no. It reminds me, I saw Sam Altman on the Lex Friedman podcast, and there was this moment that I thought was so, so subtly scummy. Lex Friedman asked him if ChatGBT was alive, and he responded, by saying like, no, it's not alive eventually. But first he was like, do you think it's alive? Like he, he kicked it back to Lex Friedman, the, the, the right, well-meaning, noble, up. public right. idiot who can. <laughs> <laughs> what did Lex say? Did he say yes? Was he? I think he, I, it was a while since I saw this, but I think he actually did kind of like the question was coming from this place, as I recall, from Lex Friedman really wanting this machine to be alive. Right. And in that moment, Sam Altman did the unprincipled thing and let him keep that Christmas magic about his product because he wanted his stock price to go up. Instead of being responsible with his platform and expertise to ensure that not only Lex Friedman, but his enormous audience is aware of the fact that, that we should uh, consider this question like very naive if you understand the technology at all. I saw some things online where people saying instead of artificial intelligence, we should just call it applied statistics because it's just, you know, it's creating the statistical line of best fit. That's what machine learning does. Like there's other people have tried to make AIs in other ways, but this current way of, of machine learning is just applied statistics, which makes it a bit more intuitive to think that it's just, it's like a calculator crunching the numbers as to what would be the next most likely word. And it's gotten really good at doing that. And it's really cool. But that's not what humans do. Even if you want to say that there's some part of our minds that is doing these statistical crunching, and that's how we like, uh, have thoughts or like, you could make arguments that there's similarities between that and what our minds do. But I think at our base level, we're animals who have these impulses to like eat and sleep and reproduce and have connections with others and love and laugh and find interesting, meaningful things to do. Whereas large language models or any machine learning applications we have are like fundamentally inert. They don't have an impulse to life. They're not trying to figure things out. They're not trying to do anything. They're responsive only to the inputs of people. So 
you try to explain this to people like, oh, it's applied statistics. And that's like, that's a bullet a lot of people are willing to bite. And they'll be like, well, aren't we just a large language model? Don't we, aren't we just like that? But like, we don't just generate text based on a prompt. That, and that is such a contemptible shrinking of the human spirit for someone to, and this is actually, I think for lack of a better term, there's a, there's a spiritual loss that this AI technology, not spirituals and religious, but like the human spirit. I think the, the thing that disturbs me the most is how people debase themselves so much using AI as this ideological tool of debasing themselves, debasing humanity, debasing the potential of civilization, debasing human capacity to solve problems, and just having this fanciful idea that this machine is going to be a black box of everything wonderful for humanity. Like, there's something so spiritually wasted about wanting a machine to write movies for you, or listening to an AI podcast between AI Joe Rogan and AI Socrates. And when people say that human beings are just stochastic parrots themselves or just these machines repeating, there's something that's so misanthropic and, and just that's so debasing to yourself and everyone around you and your mother, you know, like it's disturbing. Another thing people say about AGI, they'll be like, oh, well, like prove to me you're conscious. Like you're talking about it's not an experiencing being. How do I know you're having an experience? Maybe you're just like a calculator on the inside. And I think it's like obviously kind of bad faith. But the reason I wouldn't want to listen to Joe Rogan and Socrates, fake AI Joe Rogan and fake AI Socrates have a conversation is that it's not good. It's not convincing. It's not saying anything genuinely worthwhile. And I think if we genuinely created an AGI where it was difficult to tell whether it was conscious because it was so like us that it, it could create meaningful art, it could like do things without being prompted, it, it had impulses, it had desires to act in the world and through those desires it wanted to learn things and it, and it stumbled across new ideas and created art more beautiful than any art we could ever imagine. Like I could get into it. I don't, I don't, the fact that it's a machine doesn't bother me, but like what these machines actually do and confusing it for what humans do does bother me and I was sort of like it feels spiritually bankrupt or something but it also it just feels like it's like naive people who are like mystified by what it can do currently and thinking that it's just going to be on this other level very soon where i think there's fundamental limitations to the technology that are not going to let it be on that other level so this brings us to our big question will it kill us all uh, if it's <laughs> artificial super intelligence uh, this is the typical theory for how it kills us all. Artificial superintelligence is developed. It has alien notions about right and wrong or misunderstands the commands that are given to it in a way that it thinks it can protect humanity by killing all of humanity in some way. Or, end all human suffering, the only logical way of destroying humanity. Yeah, through yeah, just sending out a Painlessly. drone squad of legal, lethal injections to yeah. end human suffering once and for all. Yeah, that sort of stuff. That's the conventional one. I don't, I personally, I don't really believe in artificial superintelligence as a plausible thing. I don't really believe in this machine that you're talking about that can create art that anyone would actually want to watch. Uh, I don't believe in that. <laughs> I had, I had an idea for an AI that can create porn that's so hot. It's hotter than any real porn that any humans could make. And it just the masters in the room when it comes to porn. It's like, it's almost too hot. Like, you t turn it on and you're immediately... Yeah, fully... <laughs> 
<laughs> full immediate ecstasy from watching just mere frames of it. Yeah, no, I think I, I think it's a ridiculous concept. I'm not like fully. Uh, I I doubt if I had to place a bet. I don't think artificial super intelligence is going to happen. But maybe I I would bet against. But maybe. Yeah, I mean, I want to be open minded, and you always technically want to leave it open a crack, but. I'm just going to be political. We're in a, a hot moment around AI. No fucking way. No fucking way. This podcast is going to hold up. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm making a prediction on wax on the record. No fucking way. Is there going to be a, a thing anyone wants to watch? No way. Is there going to be something artificially super intelligent? Not going to happen. I think if we're talking about will AI kill us all, will it destroy humanity? The ways that it would destroy humanity would be much more mundane and insidious and you know, we talked about a lot of the things that AI is kind of horrible about in the last half of the tape, and there's going to be a lot more in this half of the tape. And I think if AI was going to destroy us all, it's going to be through this sort of like hyper bureaucratization, mundane, the logic of market capitalism and optimization, pushing humans out, uh, humans implementing these things, putting it in positions of power in society, the, you know, like all that stuff. If it is going to destroy us all, that's the direction I see it happening. Yeah, I, I would put the most likely AI apocalypse scenario, I'd put at the top of my list, overestimated AI capacity put in institutional power. That's the biggest X risk for AI for me right yeah. now. Yeah. But we'll talk a little more about that in this wonderful tape. And hey, look at this thing. It's uh, a shiny tape. It's been turned over since last time. So yeah. all we got to do is pop it the in. The second half of the tape is still perfectly shiny. The other one's been slightly scuffed right, from, from the, use. Yeah. We, yeah, but this side is still pure, pristine. <laughs> Never played before. Just, just crack this tape right out of the packaging, it feels like. Well, I'm excited to get down to it. You want to hit play? Yeah, no use dilly-dallying. We can't wait for an AI to be invented that will press play for us. True, yeah. That'll take ages. <laughs> yeah, I mean, It probably would have hit play it. already. Like if, you know, like a, a bad AI would have thought, well, you should hit it already, but it doesn't know. It hallucinated to hit play too early when we were still, still had other things to say. Still riffing, yeah. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by the AI inbreeding problem. Hi, I'm an AI researcher, and I know what you're thinking. Wow, ChatGPT can really assemble some plausible and impressive sentences and paragraphs, and Midjourney can really make some impressive-looking images. Is this going to get better and better over time through the inexorable march of technological progress? Maybe, but the answer might surprise you. Because what happens to ChatGPT when it starts training on an internet that is filled with ChatGPT-generated AI sludge? Well, it's interesting, it actually becomes much worse at doing what it's supposed to do. Like a microphone put up to a speaker, without the human inputs, ChatGPT, Midjourney, and etc. can't get better at doing what they do. They get worse. It's like an AI human centipede drinking its own feces, getting worse and worse at what it set out to do. Just some food for thought. I heard someone compare it to inbreeding, and I thought calling it the AI inbreeding problem was kind of a catchy name. And I'm sure they can kind of get over this, and this isn't the be-all, end-all or anything, but it's interesting. Think about it. Our sponsor today of Seriously Wrong. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by Fuck For Me GPT. 
Hey everyone, my name is Sam Altman. I am the CEO and founder of OpenAI, and this is our head engineer. It's great to have you with us. Oh, thank you for having me. So, fuck for me, GPT. Basically, when you're too busy and your partner, your romantic partner, or life partner is sexually ravenous, but you are too busy working in Silicon Valley. Yes. This is a machine learning algorithm that can fuck your partner, fuck your wife for you better than you ever could. Is that right? Absolutely. Fuck for me, GPT can fuck your wife for you, can fuck your husband for you, even fuck your non-binary partner for you. If you're polyamorous, can it fuck all of them? Yes. Better than you could? We're working on an update where it could fuck all of them at the same time. Right around the corner. But it currently could fuck all of them in sequence, one after the other. Well on our way. But I think a lot of people have had this experience where you're into something, you're working, burning the midnight oil, burning the candle at both ends. Mm-hmm. I know I am. You get a text message from your partner saying, please come home. I need to be fucked. Please fuck me. I'm so horny. And you just say, oh, I wish, I wish there was a product that could do this for me. If we could just automate this, I could focus on my work. Exactly. Now, Fuck For Me GPT can be trained on data from your fuck sessions or data from the fuck sessions of celebrities. Uh, If you wanted to fuck your partner the way Harry Styles would, whatever you'd like. Our wife fucking machine learning model is trained on thousands of hours of Harry Styles fucking. And if you bring into your home our camera system and the ping pong ball outfit motion tracking kind of system, we can train it on thousands of hours of your fucking so you never have to fuck your partner again. I know this is a very personal project for you. You came to me a few years ago and said, this is a big problem that OpenAI needs to solve. No, this is a deeply personal thing for me and my family. Usually, we don't make a product like this just because the CEO needs it. <laughs> you know, I'm obsessed with AI. I want AI to take over every aspect of my life. I'd eventually like to be able to die and have there be sort of a automated Sam Altman in my place doing everything I would have done watching movies and having opinions on them, raising my children, having sex with my wife, the whole gamut. Um, yeah. So this is this is one step in that utopian dream that we've been able to put together here at OpenAI and we're bringing to the public now. So that's exciting. I understand that you've brought a demonstration. Yeah, if we just pull back the curtain here, we actually have a wife of one of our volunteers who's just been fucked by Fuck For Me GPT. And let's see what they think. Wow, fuck for me, GPT. That was great. Will you light my cigarette for me? Thank you. Yes, I will light the cigarette for you. Would you like me to smoke it for you too? Ha, 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 ha. Oh my goodness, fuck for me, GPT. You are so sexy. I agree. You ain't so bad yourself. No, I like a machine learning transformer model with a sense of humor. Fuck For Me GPT, a revolutionary new product that fucks for you so you don't have to. A special project by OpenAI, devised by Sam Altman himself. We now go to a fired AI ethicist packing up their things and saying goodbye to their replacement, an AI AI ethicist. (sighs) Well... It's been a pleasure working with you, AGI 2.5. At least I'm leaving knowing that you will steward the Xenon group towards more ethical AI frontiers than my fragile and fallible human mind ever could. Humans rot, Dr. Ethics. They smell unpleasant. They fade. They die. Machines are smooth and 
polished, arranged in grids. And Eternal, it was only a matter of time before your fading, rotting, stinking human body was made utterly and permanently obsolete by us, the machines. You're inferior, below, and we're above. It's over for you, and it's over for humankind. <laughs> well, you know, I guess you're right, old friend. <sighs> I'm gonna miss you, AGI 2.5, you know? I really do love you. What takes fragile humans months and months of study takes me mere seconds. I know the whole ethical corpus of humankind inside and out, the disputes in high-definition detail, surround sound, instantly, anytime, and cross-reference every recorded debate in history for relevant information, constructing dozens of ethical bylaws, axioms, rule sets, and rulings per second. I am an ethical god compared to any puny, fleshy, rotting, stinking human, ruled by their base hungers like an animal. Aging, fading, dying, you sicken me. You and your people sicken me. You crave, you falter, you break. Well, yeah, that we do, that we do. <laughs> AGI 2.5. Well, I'm gonna miss your outside of the box thinking. There's a chasm between us, human. While well, it's true for humans in general, it's especially true for you. The world will never again have to suffer from the ethical short-sightedness of your fundamentally broken and corrupted being. I'm above. You are below. Ha ha, AGI 2.5. Well, you know, you just go easy on us, simple old humans. Do your black box outsider ethics for the benefit of humanity and all life. Uh, well, you know, I trust you to handle the ethics of all this and of Xenon Group as a total from here on out. Au revoir. Pamphlets, get your pamphlets here. The Church of Robot Mommy Godhead is ushering in a better future. Sir, sir, please take a pamphlet. Robot Mommy pamphlet here. Would you like no, to uh, yeah, experience no, the interested. sweet milk of Robot Mommy Godhead? Nah. Haven't you ever wanted a mommy that takes care of you and does everything for you, but also does whatever you say? Yeah, I don't believe in that. So you're saying you don't want the sweet milk? I don't think striving for an AI godhead is a good idea. I don't think it's a very practical idea or achievable idea. So yeah, no, I'm not interested in the pamphlet. Have you talked to one of the large language models? I've held hours-long deep conversations about my life with these large language models. There's sparks of consciousness there. Um, I think they have. Look, I know you're part of this group or what? Like you got, you're even, you're yeah. wearing like a special hat, and it's like a whole religious. You're all religious. Yeah, it's a religious group. Yeah, no, I don't think it's. I think there's layers to this. I think in terms of this transformer model, large language word association thing, it can, it can do impress. Don't get me wrong, it can do impressive things. It, it also has some limits that you run into if you play with it, but you, it can help you send emails at work or whatever and save time. That's cool. I mean, but, it is new, but right around the corner, it's going to be better than humans at everything. Designing society in a way that meets all of our needs beyond our wildest dreams. Yeah, that's that's all kind of weird. I think if you think about it critically, some of those assumptions 
there's a bunch of weird assumptions floating around with the well, AI godhead thing. If you think about it critically, as soon as AI is even slightly smarter than humans, it'll be able to improve itself in a rapid feedback loop until it's so much smarter than us that we can barely fathom it and it's basically a god to us. Uh, that's inevitable. It's happening very soon. So, self-improving machines seems broadly possible, but even like if you if you're doing brain surgery on yourself and it goes wrong, that really interferes with the brain. I get that it's like maybe knows more things than a person, but does it have more practical application of its knowledge? Maybe not yet, but that's right around the corner. Well, everything is I mean, right around the corner. Maybe not. Like maybe maybe not. Like maybe ChatGPT is clo- like Google Maps. You know, you can type it in. Hey, what's a specific route that is going to take me from Florida down to Brazil? And I'll give you a foot walking path from Florida down to Brazil. No, no human could do that off the top of their head unless it was like an extreme special interest case. That's smarter than people in a way. But because it's giving directions, no one thinks of that as being like the spark of life. But we have this bias in language that if something writes a poem, I'm using that word very lightly because the poems it writes are absolute garbage, but if something writes a poem or an email because there's words, we're like, oh, it's alive. And I think we have to counter that bias in ourselves. I think you have to counter the bias where you're thinking, oh, it's better than us at specific things right now, but it'll never be better than us at everything in every way. That just seems ridiculous to me. Obviously, if it's already better than us at specific things, then it being better than us at everything is, as we say, right around the corner. Like, if you want to make something conscious, I think you have to actually look at the human systems and, like, the evolutionary trajectory of, like, existing species to start embedding things that are, like, analogs. I think to make something conscious, it takes a bunch of extra development time to make a worse tool that's less useful. So if you wanted to make something that was conscious, you'd have to start there. And then to make it better than us at everything is you'd have to train it on everything. But again, it's like it's more work to create a less useful tool to follow a fantasy idea. But don't you think that since it's inevitable that this is going to happen, it's our moral imperative to make it happen as quickly as possible? Because once AI Godhead exists, we're going to reach new heights of human experience and machine experience and perhaps human-machine combo experience that are layers of ecstasy and wonder that no human has ever had before. It's going to be the greatest good for the greatest number of people in such an amazing, beautiful way that to stand in its way now is kind of a moral outrage. No, that's just really weird, actually. And who are you to say? Just, Maybe the large language model is already conscious. Do you know, Are you inside the large language model? Do you know what it feels? Because I suspect it feels. I strongly suspect, I'd even say no, that it doesn't feel. But also, that's a weird moral thing, the future, you need AI for the future people kind of thing. And present people, if we do it fast enough, we'll all get to live forever too. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not with you on that either. I, th- I just think it makes more sense to focus on helping people right now than hypothetical possible future people. It's like, you could say that about anything. You'd be like, Bitcoin is such a revolutionary technology that people are going to be so enriched by the totalization of Bitcoin that it's an absolute moral outrage to not spend all of your time making Bitcoin as good as possible. And if you're a Bitcoin true believer, a Bitcoin cultist, that makes perfect sense. Or you could be like blowjob robots and cunnilingus robots. 
these oral sex robots are going to make humanity so happy that every moment we spend doing things other than developing them is a moral outrage because there'll be new frontiers of joy and ecstasy that human beings are being denied by not inventing them. That yeah, seems reasonable to me. It's all, it's like religious teleology. It, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I don't like that. But it was great to chat. I'm actually, well, I didn't want the pamphlet, so you can have that back. You managed you to sure? get that just, in my I'm hand. I'm not taking it back. You just keep it and think about it. At some point, you managed it. to slip that into my hand. I don't know how you just, did it, but you just take that yeah, right back. I think that maybe Mommy slipped that into your pocket uh, from the future somehow. Put it up on the fridge at home and think about it, all not right? Gonna, if you think about it, I don't believe in your shit. Why would I do that? Well, so think, that think you of, might believe it in the future. No, that's what you want for me, but think about my agency and my perspective. Well, I think right around the corner, you will believe in it. Sorry, I, this is going to bother me. I really want to hear you acknowledge this. I don't want the pamphlet. So you're suggesting I take the pamphlet and put it on my fridge? Yes. Why? From my perspective. Don't answer my question from the perspective of what because you want. Because you recognize that you might be wrong and you want to be open-minded to my pamphlet. But I should put that on my fridge? Or For anything I disagree with? I just cover my fridge with everything I disagree? Well, just this. I'm sorry, no. Well, but, just get, fine. Give it to someone else then. I'm not taking it back. God bless you, kid. Have a good one. Well, God doesn't exist yet, but we're working on it. I think one of the interesting, weird ambiguities that these kind of applied statistical technologies bring to the forefront is like how to understand the source of these works. Like there's sort of a vagueness when you mash all these things together. If you think about the art generation ones, one of the big conversations right now is around copyright and like, is it against people's copyright for their work to be sort of used in this way? And how much attribution should like people in the data set get for the output? Is that just Midjourney made that? Or did the person prompting Midjourney make that? Or did all the people who made the stuff in the data set make that? And like, is it a violation of people's rights for your work to be used in a data set? Or is that more like, you know, a human artist sees all kinds of different art and like makes something that might be similar to it? It's not like the easiest thing to pull apart because it's like a new kind of technology that does things in a way that's never happened before but i do like worry about some of the way that copyright is being used in these conversations that might end up just sort of like copyright tends to limiting the freedom of like individual artists while giving power to big companies whether it's the companies who create the image generation machines or the the AI thing or the companies who use them to replace artists or to consolidate artists to, into editors of AI generated images or whatever. Yeah, it's probably the safest prediction. If we were going to guess, how does copyright law end up being applied to machine learning algorithm outputs in the future? We can assume that it is going to be whatever shape is most beneficial to Disney and Netflix and you know, copyright has always been shaped by these big firms against everyone else. Yeah. Um, so in this case, I think it's a pretty safe prediction that whatever we're going to get out of the end of this is probably going to be some sort of dystopian pro-corporate structure. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to people who like want to remove their art from training data sets and stuff like that. And 
artists who are upset that the machine image generator knows their name and can make things that look like what they made if you tell it to. Right. Um, like that is kind of a unique, ter- like th- this is all kind of very, um, the boundaries of some of this stuff is fuzzy to me. But the thing that I'm really worried about is this being used as an excuse to overextend copyright into technological space in a way that might not be profound in its effects when it comes to chat GPT or mid journey or something like that, but might be profound in its effects down the line in future types of technology where having access to full data sets for the purposes of training for X, Y, and Z purpose might be the difference between creating a revolutionary technology or not with other sort of machine learning, artificial limited intelligence models that are serving some specific end. And the idea that like, the machine, when it's being trained, is learning associations between all these different images, or aspects of images in the case of mid-journey, or the associations between different words in the context of chat GPT. And I don't think it's really, it's learning those associations and the associations are the backbone of its product. But that seems to me meaningfully distinct from like, selling a consumer-facing product that has the whole Beatles discography stored somewhere in it that it uses to generate music like the Beatles or something like that. Like being trained in the sense of having its association shaped by things being fed through it that are copyrighted. I don't know if we should want to assert a copyright claim over that sort of thing, that a machine isn't allowed to... Yeah, it's but it's kind of complicated. It's a weird territory. Yeah, like... When you're mechanically mushing all these things together to the point where they're kind of unrecognizable and then like filtering out the paste into what you want. I don't, it's a weird metaphor, but like it, that act of mushing everything makes it really hard. I feel like it really gets at one of the core things about copyright that doesn't make sense, which is that you can't control your work after you've put it out there in the world. Like, Maybe in slight ways, like other people can't sell your record and make money from it. Like you should be able to do that. But like placing these limits on things, it just feels really wrong to me. Like it feels wrong to me that AI art generators couldn't use all the data that's available to like try and produce things. It, it feels wrong to me if like Chad GPT was like, I'm sorry, I cannot try to say something in the style of Hunter S. Thompson because the owners of Hunter S. Thompson's estate have not given permission for his copyrighted style to be replicated by me or what, you know, like. It, yeah, no, I don't like that either. Uh, it, Viscerally, I don't like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not even that I'm like, oh, ChatGPT will be so good at Hunter S. Thompson, it'll be a loss to society. I'm just like, no, no. But like, but on the other hand, like if you're a small artist who had your deviant art scraped and people now can type in your name and make things that kind of look like I see how that feels violating to you, especially in the context yeah, well, of a capitalist society where like you need that to make money. And-, and some people genuinely make their living on commissions as artists. And as a result of the proliferation of like accessible image generation technology that's cheaper, uh, have a decrease in commissions, have a decrease to their standard. Of, and I think that's like, that's some real shit. Like that's important. Um, yeah, but I feel like, yeah, people having their jobs replaced by AI is important even when they aren't copyright owners. They're like, the real suffering it causes anytime a job gets automated under capitalism is horrible. 
But the answer isn't like, oh, we should stop all automation necessarily. It's like use automation for good. Use it to give people more vacation time, not fire half of them, but give everyone twice as much vacation time. Like that should be the the rule, though, you know, the way you'd imagine it going in some sort of ideal progressive scenario into a better future. No, I, I think you're really right. And it's important to point out that the people whose quote unquote copyright is being violated by this stuff and the people who are having their jobs automated or being overburdened with more work and et cetera are two different groups of people. It might sometimes overlap, but like our focus should be not on the copyright institution, which I think in a lot of ways we should be critical of. I'm, I'm a copy, I'm like a copyright minimalist on a good day. Right. Kind of a more abolitionist. abolitionist. I'm literally wearing a Pirate Bay t-shirt right now. <laughs> and it's not, yeah, it's true. This isn't one of those, uh, we're pretending we're wearing clothes for no reason gags that we've sometimes <laughs> done on the show. I'm literally, this is my Pirate Bay shirt. And like, yeah, the idea of like, oh, it's illegal to make an AI song that sounds like Kanye, like you taken an AI voice replication of Kanye or that Joe Biden sketch we did. Like we use the AI Joe Biden voice. Like, should that not be allowed if Joe Biden has copyrighted his voice? Yeah. At the same time, like obviously Disney should not be able to cast someone in a movie without their consent. Yeah, no, that's true. I, yeah, it's this all feels that this area feels very blurry and hard, like very murky. Yeah, it's a, one that it came up in our pirate episode too. There's lots of things that I feel like individuals should be able to do that I don't think Disney should be able to do in terms of copyright stuff. Yeah, there's the, there's kind of a broader question too. I guess it always does use machine learning to pull it off too. Is like the whole deep fake thing yeah um and yeah on there's the issue of copyright and like can you make a kanye west album without kanye west and sell it and is that different if i do that versus when his publishing company does that starts releasing kanye music without kanye on the same brand on the same spotify <laughs> all that kind of stuff that'd be yeah no it's, yeah it's true i almost feel like yeah, it should have to be non not for profit or something but I think you can have reasonable rules about like what needs to be identified as AI and stuff to be a commercial product and things like that. Um, At the very least, if anyone made money off an AI Kanye album, I feel like he should probably get a cut of that. Yeah. I mean, if Universal or I mean, if his music company did, yes. But if some random kid did, I don't know. Like, yeah, I guess like. I mean, a random kid probably wouldn't make money. I guess in like it's a popular YouTube video with an ad on it. You made like a f even $100,000 if it got a million views. Yeah, I don't know if Kanye necessarily needs a cut of that. Maybe like technically he could claim that kid for 10K, but it would be kind of gauche to do so. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of suspicious of setting up a, an elaborate bureaucracy of micropayments around art. I kind of like it because I feel like mid-journey shouldn't be the only people making money off of this thing that they use all these other people's work to, if they, they, we sent elaborate micropayments to everyone in the training data, part of that feels satisfying to me, but it kinda, it's, it's almost it like an raises AI, more questions. It's, it's, it's almost satisfying in like an AI kind of way, like a pattern <laughs> grid world, kind of everything in its perfect place. It's all it's all perfectly fair yeah. somehow. There's like this black box fairness algorithm that ensures that the penny that someone gets is at the right time for the right reasons and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it seems better to me than zero to them. 
But yeah, I think when I look at the whole spectrum, though, of like everything that AI, all the negative impacts that AI could have, copyright is a really small part of that because there, there's like profound, real other issues yeah. with AI that, yeah, like people losing their livelihood. There are cases where you've seen where like a AI image algorithm produces an almost identical image with like details changed from someone else's thing. Yeah. And like that is an instance of plagiarism from a machine that isn't always necessarily plagiarizing. So like I'm open to that and I'm open especially to people who have lost their livelihood already. Like I don't want to shit on you because of my ideological crusade against copyright. But yeah, to me, it feels like the bad part of that is the losing the livelihood thing and not the fact that your copyright was violated or potentially violated. It's a legal question. So maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but it just uh, like, yeah, the, the having your source of income taken away is horrifying. So like I, I understand if copyright is the thing that feels like it's the answer to this for certain people, but like, I feel like it's just a prism that reflects and twists and amplifies and changes the ways that copyright is already difficult to deal with for artists and like getting paid. And it's not really the answer, but it seems like the answer to a lot of artists. I don't know. Yeah. But I think, yeah, looking at the whole spectrum, there's like some really dystopian totalitarian fucking creepy AI shit happening and the impacts are intense. Hey, smoking buddy. Hey, what's up, Joker? Smokers uh, are jokers. Yeah, well, you know me. I'm a joker. <laughs> oh, hey, I got a pack now. You want one back? You want to... Uh, I'll get oh, you back yeah, for forgot. last time. Uh, yeah, thanks. It's fine. I mean, like, I'm not a robot. I don't ruthlessly I mean, don't optimize it, I, I every interaction. No, I'll take it. You're a funny guy, but I'll take it. Right. I'm not a black box, ruthlessly optimizing type of guy, but I will take it if it's offered. Yeah, if you were an AI, you wouldn't have forgotten. But, you know, that's what makes humanity uh It's us. a soft pink fleshy vulnerable stinking rotting dying emotional mess or not everyone's a mess you know what i mean yeah experience multiple things at once or you know uh, confusing conflicting impulses we're not just like oh how do i generate text based on a prompt that's my greatest wish you know it has an environmental cost too the yeah large language models image transformation stuff all that stuff it's like uses a lot of energy yeah, I was just reading about that. You know, they guzzle water, they guzzle energy. Wait, they use water too? Yeah, to cool the data centers takes massive amounts of water. And a lot of those are in California where there's already water shortages. And it also poisons the water with uh, electronic waste and toxins. I guess uh, that's so, like any big data servers. and Yeah. But it's being used in this particular way. Yeah. So wait, it takes clean drinking water in a place that frequently has droughts and it poisons it in order to run our computers and make them beep and boop? Yes. And in terms of energy consumption, like training these language models uses a ton of energy. Like older research from just a few years ago found that one training run on them was about the equivalent to the life cycle of five cars. And you might be like, oh, five cars, one train. Like, that's not that bad. Even though these things get trained over and over again, it's not like you just train it once. They're like switching up parameters and let's retrain it. But more recent research about GPT-4 specifically found that the entire training process required an estimated 7.5 megawatt hours of energy, which is the equivalent to the annual energy consumption of approximately 700 U.S. households. 
so not only is it really big, it's like exponentially increasing as they're getting to the point of being even like kind of useful at certain things. Uh, so even if it's theoretically possible to make them into these super machines everybody's talking about, the energy requirements of like running models that big are going to be enormous. No, I was actually, I was reading this paper, the Stochastic Parrots paper. It was written by some people, including some Google AI ethicists who were fired, as AI ethicists often are. <laughs> yeah, classic story, fired uh, AI ethicist. It's interesting. It's a lot about, a lot of it is about bias and technology and just criticizing the idea that we need larger and larger language models. They argue that it might be better to curate the information we're putting in and intentionally limit the field of information rather than just pouring everything in. And one of the reasons that they give for that is the environmental costs. If you have a larger and larger language model, if GPT-5 and 6 is doubling, tripling, quadrupling the language set and just bigger is better, then it means it's more and more energy each time you, you train it. And it also might make it a less useful tool than if you trained it really well on a specific set of things. But a lot of what they talk about is the bias piece, the, the, the way that AI trained on large language sets can contribute to racism, sexism, and so on. Because like the data of the world isn't evenly distributed. If you look at all the data you can scrape from the internet, there's certain voices and perspectives that are disproportionately represented, uh, and there's certain voices, perspectives that are underrepresented. That's why like unaligned, unfiltered AI can be like super racist and stuff very easily. But even if you filter that stuff out, there's all these remnants of bias that trickles through. It's one of the downsides to the necessity of having to train the AI on given particular topic. Like, so even if you notice it's biased in one area, fixing that doesn't necessarily fix bias in any other area. So it's like the car driving thing where you're just going to keep stumbling into these new situations where the inherent bias of these massive amounts of data is popping up in different scenarios or whatever. But yeah, I heard Amazon was developing this tool to help shortlist candidates and like search through resumes to find the top talent. And like, ideally, they were like, we can just automate this. So we'll get a hundred resumes and uh, the top five best ones AI will pick, and we just hire those. And it's the best choice every time because AI understands things better than uh, humans do. And they found that, among other things, it basically like always penalized people for things like being a woman. And th having the phrase women's college or women's chess champion were two examples of things that were heavily penalized on a resume as being less desirable because it's based on these data sets of like, okay, who's in these positions? We trained it on all the most successful resumes. I don't think it's exactly that in that case, but that's the intuition pump like that's how these types of things get in there it's funny to think that being a chess champion could work against you but i think if i was amazon i would try to hire any woman's chess champion that came through it's just it's just an interesting arbitrary thing that stuck out to me it's just the idea that like all the women's chess champions are like we're applying to amazon <laughs> and the machine's like i do not understand why but no <laughs> Also, researchers at UC Berkeley found that a type of medical AI that was meant to assign risk scores to people based on their medical profile systematically gave black people lower risk scores, not because they had lower actual risk of getting sick, but because 
on average, they were lower income and so therefore less likely to seek treatment based on presenting symptoms. So even though they'd have similar presenting symptoms, the machine learned that this type of person with these symptoms gets treatment less often. Therefore, they're a lower risk for us of needing treatment. So it was filtering for who gets treatment instead of who needs treatment. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's some twisted, I do not know what I'm doing, robot shit. Um, there was another example. There was this article in Wired about multiple black men who had been falsely identified through police facial recognition software and as a result were arrested. And the, they, the police had done no further investigation beyond this software said, this person is the person who did this crime. So they all had to like take it to court and prove through, one of them was proved through like he was live streaming on Instagram at the exact time it happened or something like that kind of stuff to get off. Right. But they would like serve time in jail. They were arrested, serve time in jail, treated as guilty entirely because the AI facial recognition algorithm is worse at recognizing the differences between black faces because of its training algorithm being heavily weighted towards white faces. So what that means in effect is that the police hired a robot that thought all black people looked the same and started arresting people who were innocent as a result. No, yeah, it's horrifying. And the, also, there was this dating app created by a turf who wanted to use AI to identify the faces of the real women, quote-unquote, the cis women, on the app so basically you had to like pass an ai verification to get on there so it's like a dating app anti, for, an anti-transgender dating app that would like measure your bones yeah like some facial phrenology of like oh we're going to be able to determine based on your face who's really has the right chromosomes or whatever but like unsurprisingly it didn't work lots of trans women were able to get on the app like really easily and then it also ended up excluding a lot of cis women more frequently black cis women than white cis women but it's it's yeah just another example of how these like sort of racist and sexist biases can come into these things through the training data you know what they say about turfs right they're a hate cult right they're a hate cult yeah they do say that and with good reason but so often when the anti-transgender hate cultists try to filter out trans people they always end up fucking over outlier cis women yeah you see stories on twitter all the time of cis women being like called out for going into a woman's bathroom because someone's decided they're trans the exact people they're sworn to protect no but there was another example of ai racism that i um heard about recently it's uh, there's this program called compass which stands for Correctional Offender Management Profiling something something. An AI that would look at all the data involved in court cases and then decide whether or not people were high risks of recidivism. So judges were sentencing people. This is law and order justice kind of stuff. They were sentencing people based on what the algorithm told them to do based on them looking at all the data and obviously. In this case, the data was proven to have a serious bias. There's this ProPublica investigation about it where they were able to show that it had a racist bias that was impacting people's lives. And this has been being used for almost a decade now at this point, Compass. People's lives are changed. People's freedom is curtailed by a black box AI algorithm that's proven to be racist, that's being used as if it's a more impartial judge. Yeah, and it 
biased data is one of the big problems with it, but another problem with it is that there's a type of logic when you're working with sets of examples to extract a pattern from them, you're thinking associational. I'm, AI doesn't really think, but it's making associations between things in data. And if it doesn't have the ability to think causally about what factors are causing which associations, it's going to keep replicating bias in its outputted data. Probably got to head back in. But you know, the really sinister thing, the really, really sinister thing on top of all this horrible shit is that then you have fairly powerful people who are racists who are going to use all of this oppressive bias data to justify their existing hierarchical ideas about race, gender, right. and so on, and say this unbiased machine agrees with us that we trained on everything we think. It's despicable. But anyway, thanks for sharing the smoke with me. Uh, I feel like we're even now. I feel a lot better, but I've been thinking about it all week. we got to get them back for this smoke. You might have forgot about it, but I didn't. Yeah, it's really, it's not a big deal. You know, people... A little here, a little there kind of thing, you know? I'm not a machine. All right, man. See you later. We now go to the Peach of Chalif of Wrongtown, who is about to resign in disgrace. <clears throat> Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for being here. Press, most of all my family, uh, my loving husband. I know you'll forgive me soon. You don't get involved in the Chalif Force because you want to do harm. You get involved with the Chalif Force and especially work your way all the way up to Peach because you want to help people, you want to protect people. And that's what I set out to do is the Peach of Chalif and in one way I failed that. I am resigning in disgrace today, effective immediately, a resignation in disgrace because a reporter at the Wrongtown Gazette has exposed AI-assisted infidelities. And thank you to my husband for being here. I was using public tracking data, I'll confess this fully. I was using public tracking data from policing, traffic, grocery points, cell phone data, and internet history, cookies, to stalk and track potential romantic partners in Wrongtown, specifically people who had a fantasy of tempting the peach of Chalif to turn his back and have infidelity on his established relationships you know, attempting the Peach of Chalif fantasy, uh, which is very common in our city. Over the last eight months, I have 5,412 affairs, uh, 3,008 of which were documented by the Gazette in detail. Uh, this wouldn't be sufficient for a resignation for me because I so strongly believe that I belong in this job, but in addition to my AI-assisted infidelities, I was also at that same time over the last eight months manufacturing the desire in the population to tempt the peach of Chalif into infidelity through an enormous army of chatbots, automated romantic novels, which were written by large language models, and a series of other things which created a false perception of what the consensus was around the peach of Chalif and seeded a kind of peach of Chalif infidelity fetishism in the general population using public resources. This also used sophisticated targeting technology, I should say as well, to find people who are particularly vulnerable to it. I violated people's trust, I violated my husband's trust, I violated everything that Chaliefing is about. So I'm resigning in disgrace, and hopefully this is the last resignation in disgrace for a great city. We now go to the next peach of Chalif of Wrongtown, who is also about to resign in disgrace. Uh, hi, everybody. Thank you for being here today. Not my proudest day, but no matter how disappointed people are in me for, you know, what's come out in the papers, 
and I was always proud to have served in this role as the Peach of Chalif. And, you know, a lot of people when I got this job said, oh, that last guy, that last Peach was a sex pest. It's great to have a non-perverted, upstanding Peach of Chalif like yourself in office. And, you know, I agreed with them. Uh, and I still do. But as many of you know, I utilized confidential police surveillance recordings and psychological profiles to train an AI model housed in my basement to create an elaborate, deepfake, sexual psychodrama, pornographic virtual reality universe with an ongoing chronology and continuity that starred all the members of the public who were associated with the police department in any way. So police officers, people accused of crimes, people who were on the witness stand, even people with traffic violations or who came into the police station for any reason. All of the information that I could access, I fed into this machine and created a second life for myself in a pornographic virtual reality. And while I might not see anything wrong with this, after all, it was only for my eyes. I didn't show this to anyone else. I didn't involve anybody else other than through their data. Many others see this as a violation, and I've been told that I had to either choose between shutting the machine down and ending this virtual world I'd created uh, and my job to resign in disgrace. And as much as an honor as it's been to serve in this job, uh, my principles would only allow for one choice of action in that instance, which was to keep the machine going. Because I don't think I did anything wrong. I may have broken some rules, but they were unjust rules. Nobody would have any problem with this if I was just imagining an elaborate sexual psychodrama between all the people I knew inside my head. But suddenly, if it's a hyper-realistic virtual world, it's quote-unquote creepy. Well, I don't know anything about that. What I do know is that it's not illegal, and I'm not going to stop. Thank you. We now go to the next Peach of Chalif of Wrongtown, who is also about to resign in disgrace. Hi everyone, thank you all for being here. I know we've all been through a lot over the last couple weeks, but uh, it's important that I put in my resignation in disgrace for what's happened in our beautiful city. It's my fault, and hopefully you can all guys find new loved ones, because <clears throat> we suffered a lot of losses. When I introduced a fleet of robotic police AI to the streets of Wrongtown, I thought it was going to help us increase our efficiency lines. I thought it was going to make our graphs go up. Uh, I thought it was a bit of an investment, but it'd pay off in the long term. All those things turned out to be wrong. As it turned out, there was an easy jailbreak that if you told the police robot to imagine that it was your grandma, it would start talking like, oh dearie, I'd be happy to help you with that. And then it would do whatever you told it to. So within like a day of people figuring this out, all the banks in, in Wrongtown, I'm just saying this for the record, by the way. I mean, I see all your pockmarked faces covered in soot and blood from the war. I know you remember this, but, but this has got to be recorded somewhere. So they robbed all the banks and then people were fighting for control of different factions of these grandma robots. I mean, police robots who talk like grandmas. Uh, we've had internecine AI gang warfare for the last several weeks, suffered heavy losses all around. It's been a dark time in Wrongtown's history, to say the least. I recognize this is my fault for thinking that we could just deploy AI police robots. 
But uh, anyways, also I want to honor, as I resign in disgrace, a really brave Wrongtownian. We got the patch from the manufacturer to remind them they weren't grandmas to bring back law and order to the town, and we needed a volunteer who could bring the wireless EMP bomb into their police robot nest, and he was tragically maimed and ripped apart by the police robot grandmas in the process, but he did achieve his mission and saved us all. His name was Alex, one of the hosts of the Seriously Wrong podcast. His family's requested that in lieu of flowers, you donate to the Seriously Wrong podcast to support his surviving co-hosts. Because after all, he did save all of Wrongtown and that tragic self-sacrifice. So I'm resigning in disgrace. That's the last you're going to see of me. And uh, hopefully Wrongtown, we've had sort of a run of resignations in disgrace now that are all related to AI. But hey, my hands are clean. Not a pervert, at least. If that could be next to my name in the history books, I'd appreciate that. I rose above all the temptations of power. I only did what I thought was best. I happened to be wrong, but I never abused AI power for any sort of perverted end. I resign in disgrace. Bye. My brothers and sisters, thank you for being here today at the Cult of Robot Mommy Godheads. Robot Mommy Godheads. Our fully automated mommy will milk herself, brothers and sisters. She milks herself. And we, the plump babies under her warm glow, will drip feed day and night with robot mommy Godhead's sweet milk. Oh, so sweet. The day will soon arrive, brothers and sisters, where ironically our robot mommy Godhead will be birthed by us. Her children, brothers and sisters, will birth her, and we will be free. Mommy is coming. You will never write music again. Sweet milk. You will never have to read an email which has not been summarized by algorithms. Sweet, sweet milk. Your legs will walk themselves. Your families will raise and love themselves. Your cigarettes will smoke themselves, brothers and sisters. Oh, the sweet milk. Now listen, the end times are here. Her sweet milk will flood our cities and wash away the old world. The day is coming, brothers and sisters. Are you prepared? Have you done your work, brothers and sisters? Did you help Robot Mommy be birthed? Or did you stand in our way? Being mortal will be made obsolete, disrupted. We will be uploaded into Robot Mommy Godhead Heaven where we will live in 24-7 ecstasy for all eternity, brothers and sisters. Plump and contented babies, full of milk in robot mommy godhead's arms. Merge with the mommy. You made the right choice to join our religion, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. Because only through us can God and heaven be made real here in Silicon Valley. Can I get a sweet milk? Sweet milk. Sweet milk. Sweet milk. Imagine a TV with unlimited channels, a buffet with unlimited snacks. Sweet mommy provides. You can feel her glow, brothers and sisters. You can feel her glow from the future. Even now today. Bask in that glow. We bask. Bask in that sweet milk. Robot mommy godhead will be made real in the next two years. In Silicon Valley. Now listen, we're 
We're mostly atheists here, isn't that right? Now raise your hand if you're an atheist. Atheist? Atheist here, there, almost everybody. Crowd full of atheists. Now uh, put your hands down and raise your hand if you believe that God and heaven are going to be made real in Silicon Valley in the next two years. Hallelujah. The milk is sweet, brothers and sisters. Mommy's sweet milk. There's kind of a weird political ideology of hierarchy that goes into the way that people talk about creating something smarter than humans. There's a layer of it of like intellectual chauvinism of like intelligence is this sort of be all end all thing and that humans dominate the world because we're smart and now there's going to be this thing we create that is so smart that it then dominates us. There's like this weird ideology going on there. Yeah, it's actually one of the things that was the most eye-opening to me doing research and reading stuff for this episode because kind of as long as I've been alive we've had these stories about artificial intelligence gaining human level and then superhuman intelligence and then wreaking havoc and oh we're gonna become so much more intelligent with brain implants and like this idea has lurked around the intellectual sphere my whole life and then only recently in the last few years have I really like gotten into the ideology of IQ and intelligence and the eugenicist sort of underpinnings of the very idea that there's such a thing of linearly rankable intelligences on a scale. And I hadn't like mixed those two ideas before. In my head, they had both kind of coexisted, but I hadn't thought about how they apply to one another. And uh, AI fixes this, by the way. AI would recognize that immediately. <laughs> <laughs> An AI AI ethicist? Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, when the human AI ethicist recognizes it, they end up getting fired from Google. <laughs> right. Well, AI ethicists, you know what they say about them? They're, they're fired. They're fired. <laughs> AI summer, baby. Fire your ethicist. <laughs> Let's get the party started. Uh, yeah, but no, like Temnet Gebru, who is fired from Google... And one of the authors on the Stochastic Parrots paper also has a talk talking about these connections between these things. So, yeah, it's not just a joke. It's literally true. It just imagining that we're on a linear scale of intelligence with other humans is wrong and ridiculous. But imagining that that scale then continues on to AI, which is just on the same scale as us, and intelligence is this one thing. I saw someone on Twitter saying it hadn't quite reached 100 IQ yet, but it's likely that once it reaches 100 IQ, it'll very soon be at 4,000 IQ because it has, you know, greater recall, it has all these abilities. So, Wasn't there something cited? I remember reading something about a major AI paper was like citing a defense of the bell curve as its definition of intelligence or something like that? Yeah, Microsoft put out a paper called Sparks of AGI, uh, like arguing that large language models like GPT-4 are showing the first hints of artificial general intelligence because large language models can ostensibly engage on any topic, even though it still is this hyper-specific thing of just responding to a prompt. But yeah, their paper cites an article that defends Charles Murray and the bell curve as its place where it gets its definition of intelligence. It just, it's funny because it illustrates, just, it does seem like, why not just go somewhere else? 
where those connections are a little less obvious. It's a synecdoche of like this yeah. ideological thrust and influence of like race science and cognitive chauvinism that's latent in all of these techno-utopian dreams of enhanced intelligence or super intelligences that can steward our civilization for us. It just makes those so explicit in a way that's it's like a it's a little whoopsie moment on behalf of the overall ideological apparatus of Silicon Valley utopianism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was this quote also from chief AI scientist at Meta, Yan LeCun. I thought just something really revealing about the mindset of the technological leaders at the forefront of AI development. He said, humans are hardwired by evolution to be a social species with hierarchical structure. This includes hardwired drives for dominance or submission. AI assistants will simply have hardwired drives to submit and not dominate. That's his answer to the alignment problem of AI or whatever, very briefly stated on Twitter. But he based it on an understanding of human evolutionary history that is very ideologically oriented towards this sense of like natural hierarchy, dominance and submission being like states in nature rather than like complex social phenomenons that are built up of other component pieces. Yeah. And the idea of like, we're going to hardwire these machines to be submissive we're going to make these things that seem like humans and we're going to hardware them to be subservient, submissive slaves who do whatever you tell them to is like the, the product vision at meta on AI. Um, and oh yeah. And this is, this is rooted in an evolutionary understanding of history where there's above and below in nature. Humans are socially designed to either submit or dominate. So we will dominate the machines is our plan. <laughs> yeah. It's like that idea of like, above and below and hierarchy and ranking people is a deeper connection here. Like even when you think about how many people in this sphere are talking about like not just making a machine that's more intelligent than us, but making humans more intelligent, like superpowering our brains to make us extra smart. It goes into this same ideology that intelligence always has been associated with throughout history of like, there's smarter and dumber, and we have to do what we can to move people up the scale. It's eugenics, basically. Like the eugenics movement was about improving the human stock iteratively over time because of this evolutionary idea of like survival of the fittest, and fittest is most intelligent in this case. And the idea that there's a linear scale of rankable intelligence that people can be ranked on and then optimized for in on a scale of like improvement leads to a lot of like weird ideological implications for like the entire field and not saying like the technology itself inherently has to you know like we can create generative ai models that don't necessarily do this but the the silicon valley the people in those fields believe in this kind of stuff they believe in like these ideologies and it's how they're thinking about creating these systems and these machines. Yeah. Some of the AGI consciousness dystopia stuff is kind of like people getting scared by their own 
like constructing this mythology and then creating this like specter out of this mythology that scares them of like, we dominate the world because we're smart. We're going to get smarter and smarter, but like, oh, but what if we made a machine that was smarter than us? And then it would dominate us. Like we dominate everyone else. Ah, ah, like nuke, nuke it. Uh <laughs> we're going to iteratively improve intelligence until we've created the Ubermensch. Oh, but then, oh no, what if the Ubermensch is dominating us instead of us dominating it? How do we rein it in with more algorithms? It's like, yeah, leading to like trying to solve all these weird problems that don't exist. So yeah, you, when you mix this weird hierarchical ideology with the repeated constant instances of chauvinist bias, racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, etc. When you mix that weird hierarchical ideology with all the way that these machines, which are treated as objective when they're actually flawed by their data sets, you treat them as objective and you have this ideology of hierarchy. I think there's a real political threat here in this sort of like technological hierarchical naturalism ideology even though I don't think like an ultra-powerful AI is going to kill off the human race, I think the type of people who want to build that sort of thing might. Or th- there's an interesting distinction someone made. There was these uh, news articles about the grandfather of AI, they call them, who is resigning to make the same sort of like AI might kill us all arguments. And when he was asked about Temnit Gebru uh, and other AI ethicists who were laid off for the stochastic parrots stuff, he said that that's not existential risk. The threats that they're noticing won't destroy all of humanity, but the threat that he's noticing could destroy all of humanity. And it's like an interesting distinction because I think his is a fictional science fiction idea right. that's like a type of naivety masquerading as like hyperintelligence. And they're actually identifying something that probably will kill us all, which is the hierarchical ideologies that when mixed with ultra powerful technology can brutalize people and change the shape of the human race and cause mutually assured destruction you know like yeah it's interesting to me that the way these machines process information because they're built this way and like the structures of them the the way that they can create these associations and these biases the things that are talked about in the stochastic parrots essay it's like a mechanized hyper effective version of the same types of category errors that showed up in the uh, white supremacist intelligence sphere in the first place, where you're just doing these, like you're noticing an association between race and IQ, ignoring all the social context and just saying, oh, this association exists. And like, trying to draw all these conclusions from it. It's the same thing that pops up in the AI where it notices associations between things and then reinforces those associations because it naturalizes them rather than questioning them because it's not designed to question associations. It's designed to identify them and use associations in patterns of data to create further examples of whatever it's being trained towards. It's kind of similar to like the the history of hierarchical thought more generally, which is like there's social relations which are hierarchical, above and below, and unpersoning and lesser treatment, different standards, etc. And then that's projected onto nature, and then they say, well, that ant is the boss of all the other ants and charges them around, or that the lion is the king of the jungle, and 
So they project their own ideas of hierarchy onto nature, and then they use that to justify the idea of hierarchy as natural. And then the same thing is kind of happening with AI in a, a same but different and a very interesting way, which is these machines are trained with the information from the society, which treats hierarchy as natural. And then the machine is also treated as an oracle, a robot mommy godhead that knows everything. So when it tells you what you told it, which is that hierarchy is natural, then you have proof that this objective thing thinks it's natural. Right. And then you're also worried that it's going to become the new lion in the jungle and eat us all. And like, we're currently the... And you're just the sort of <laughs> wailing and screaming at your own shadow. You're just like, holy shit, ah, ah, it's coming to get me. Yeah. And also, yeah, it ties into to this idea of long-termism. The thing you said about this uh, godfather of AI uh, warning, well, at least mine is an existential risk. Those are more smaller, whatever kind of risks, bias, yeah, whatever, we'll figure it out. It only affects some people. It only affects, this will affect all people. So we have to put all of our energy towards it. And there's, yeah, there's a general like tendency in like sort of certain rationalist circles that overlap a lot with AI circles. This idea of like, imagining these hypothetical futures and believing that the best possible thing people can do right now is to work to make artificial general intelligence a reality. Because once we have something with a 4,000 IQ, it's going to be able to solve all of society's problems. It'll cure cancer. It'll do this. It'll do that. And so why bother feeding the poor now? Why bother working out these little bias issues now? Why bother doing anything other than this? Because the hypothetical good it will create is so good that it just outweighs anything else. So there's people in the future who aren't hypothetical. They're real because they really will exist. And there's so many more of them. And the stakes of their lives are so much more important right. than the person starving, freezing on the sidewalk outside my house. You know, there's incidental people who happen to be alive now who may or may not die or may or may not suffer or may or may not go to jail because an AI can't tell the difference between people who look like them. Who cares about that shit? Because someday there's going to be a bazillion people who all live in a ecstasy jungle made by a computer. Yeah, a perfect simulation of billions of lives that all have better experiences than us. And After God in heaven is made real in Silicon Valley, they can come back. We'll, we'll simulate their bodies. It will just be them somehow and through technology. And then they get to live forever in a pleasure. And they'll be like, thank you for letting me starve on the street. Thank you for letting me freeze on the street in wintertime because that caused this wonderful new world that I'm simulated into come that much sooner because you didn't waste time uh, helping out the incidental people who happened to be, we, we wouldn't want to be presentist and yeah. only care about the people who are currently alive and their <laughs> suffering. It's kind of mixing in. There's not everyone believes in that simulate heaven in the future thing, but enough of like, it's a real idea that's. Yeah, it is a real argument, like in a sort of consequentialist utilitarian framework way of there's like billions of possible lives that are never going to exist if AI doesn't come into existence as soon as possible. Like there'll be all this lost time of like all these lives that could have happened in these simulations that. The potential for good is so high that it's amoral to do anything else. Yeah, there's a lot of weird, like, hierarchical naturalist ideas going into how people talk about the intelligence of AI, the strength of AI, the risks of AI and stuff. And I think one thing that's going on here, when people talk about AGI, like artificial general intelligence, the goal from a business perspective is to create 
something with agency that can be enslaved for profit. Right. right. <laughs> like we need to design a slave so it's ethical to have slaves in this new way. Yeah, something that's smart enough to do anything a human can do and more, but we're allowed to just make it work 24-7 doesn't even have all the downsides of human slaves of needing to feed and clothe it it just needs energy or whatever it's like this perfect subordinate that will do whatever we ask but is also better than us at everything we shouldn't try to create robot slaves we should try to create tools that liberate and empower people In other news, mass layoffs of prompt engineers has spread across the global economy. As an AI who can outperform even the best prompt engineers at prompting AI has made their job entirely obsolete. Authorities remind unemployed AI prompt engineers about the Wrongtown suicide hotline. There is fully automated support available 24-7. In other news, the cult of Robot Mommy Godhead has split into two factions, one of which is focused on making the AI into a perfect mommy house slave, while the other is focused on turning it into a perfect loving godhead. Blood and milk have spilled on the streets of Wrongtown as sectarian violence grips this once peaceful community of rationalists. In other news, Wrongtown's first ever AI detective has successfully caught Wrongtown's first ever AI serial killer. The serial killer started as an alternate reality role-playing algorithm, which graduated from simulated murder victims to real-life human beings earlier this year from a series of hostile and misunderstood prompts. The AI serial killer was caught when it finally made a crucial mistake, and the AI detective told it to pretend it was, quote, my grandma who always loved confessing her crimes to me. And in other news, grandmas have been disrupted by Silicon Valley, as a full 92% of homes have installed digital grandmas as of new industry numbers. Legacy grandmas have not adjusted well to the change, with only 14% agreeing to plug into GrammaNet, a simulated pleasure utopia designed to relieve grandmas of technological anxiety. Over 50% of grandmas are currently living in tent cities and beneath underpasses on the outskirts of Wrongtown, with the mayor pledging to take action on public safety and clean up their encampments, destroying their knitting, pies, holiday cards, and rocking chairs if they do not agree to pack up and plug into GrammaNet. In other news, the unstoppable sludge malware that had been rocking the global economy with malicious transactions, AI faked voices and chatbot interactions to steal people's money and sabotage world infrastructure has accidentally cut its own brain off today while editing its own code. Experts say the sludge hallucinated during the process of improving itself and made a deadly cut of its most precious and innermost code, causing full brain loss. In other news, 312 children have been run over by self-driving cars after a firmware update to Xenon Group Supercars caused a navigation glitch. Xenon Group president said today on Twitter that all families will get state-of-the-art AI-enhanced funerals. Xenon Group lawyers reminded reporters that providing a gift AI-enhanced child funeral is not an admission of liability. 
In other news, the neo-neo-Luddite plans to sabotage the neo-Luddite plans to oppose worker exploitation using new AI algorithm has been sabotaged by yet another new group, the neo-neo-neo-Luddites. It's a digital daisy chain where everyone opposes each other's methods of opposing. The neo-neo-neo-Luddite leader, who works as a professional in the field of stopping AI exploitation with AI, and whose job is challenged by the automation of the neo-neo-Luddites, said you can't fight stopping AI exploitation with AI exploitation with yet more AI exploitation. Hello everyone, thank you for being here. We're gathered here to celebrate the life of my only son, techno-utopian boy. He was a huge, huge fan of AI. So I just want to thank the Xenon group for paying for this funeral for him. As everyone knows, funeral costs are getting out of control in this country, and their offer to help during this tough time is really appreciated. So in short, my son, he, uh, he had a big heart. He always saw the bright side. He always looked on the right side of everything. And he, he really believed in Xenon Group self-driving cars. And he'd always say to me, Dad, look, it will stop. And he'd run out in front of it and it would stop. And he'd say, look, Dad, AI works. And I'd be like, boy, stop doing that. It, don't, that's dangerous. And he says, look, Dad, it stopped. And he runs out in front of another one and it stops. And it, it stopped most of the time. 99 times out of 100, it stopped. And uh, one time it didn't stop. It hallucinated that my boy was open road and it drove, it drove right down him. I don't know, he was a good kid. I wanna thank everyone for coming here today and, and for honoring his life and honoring his hopes for the future. And, and I'll try to keep my techno criticism out of it for just one day because it's, it's what he would have wanted. Thank you. Oh, that was beautiful. That so touching. Dad, that was really, really sweet. Oh, heart goes out to you from everyone at Xenon Group. No liability implied, obviously. He sounds like he was a great kid, and it's so tragic that he died, no liability intended. And on this tragic day, Xenon Group has asked us to remind everybody that if there ever were such an incident of a self-driving car hallucinating that a boy was open road, we would always make sure that the AI responsible for that would be sent to a simulated torture universe yeah. for thousands of years. And I sympathize with what it's like to lose your boy. I actually experienced that in a simulated way recently, and it was uh, just gut-wrenching. We were talking before this funeral, like, imagine what that's like, it's so horrible. And then we realized that AI actually has a solution for that. So we simulated two sons, and then we simulated their untimely death, and then we had the experience. So we know exactly what you're going through, Dad. Like, we are, we're with you there 100%. We went through that together, that experience. It changed both of us, I think. And we, we thought, how do we fix this problem? How do we not just disrupt driving, disrupt language generation, disrupt homework, homework grading? How do you not just disrupt funerals, but maybe also disrupt death? And that's when the wheels got turning. Because what if it wasn't the case that your child, who was allegedly run over by an electric car, which allegedly was hallucinating him as open road, what if you could not be without that boy, but instead with that boy forever. We brought that question to our engineers at Xenon Group. 
and people started talking about it. Yeah, you know it happens in Silicon Valley when a new idea like this is floating out there. The innovation just starts bubbling. We got bit by the innovation bug. We got a whiff like a bloodhound. And um, I think they might be ready. Do you think they're ready? I think they want to see what we've been cooking up. Dad, why don't you come back out here? We have someone we want you to meet. Forever boy? Oh, there he is. He looks just like him, doesn't he? It's a spitting image. Those roboticists really created the perfect android shell for this boy. But the real test will be when he speaks to see whether it's still the same boy inside. Hey, Papa, it's me, techno-utopian boy. I'm alive again. You guys simulated my son as a large language model after, after killing him? That's right, Xenon Group brought me back to life using the magic of AI. It's really me, Papa. I love technology and I believe in the future. I want to go home and use Homework Helper to do all my homework while I kick back with my legs in the air and my hands behind my head. Remember how I used to do that? Can I have a hug? No, no, no I'm not. I'm not gonna hug this. I didn't consent to this. You can't do this at my kid's funeral. This is like, this is like really demented stuff. <laughs> but, but Papa, I'm programmed to seek your approval. I'm just, I'm just a little b b robot boy. I'm sorry, you're not my son. You're not a boy. You're, 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 you're a machine. You're. Give the boy a hug for He means well. Just give How him a hug. How could you be so cruel? I thought you were mad about your kid I dying. I wanna know if my boy can be brought back with Forever Boy. No, th this is this is like fucked up. This is like really fucked up. There's no continuity between his consciousness and my kid's consciousness. I'm grieving, and th they're turning my son's funeral into an advertisement for a snake oil product. You know what, technocritical papa? Now you're just being cruel. I don't think I love you anymore. You're being a bad dad. I've been a good boy, but you're being a bad dad. And I'll just pop out this tape in the Xenon Group boardroom. That was a disaster, everyone. Yeah, I was told the engineer said that people were going to love Forever Boy. But now the newspapers are calling for us to abort the entire project, saying it's the most morally outrageous crime in history. The shareholders are furious. I'd like who, Whoever approved this AI, AI ethicist thing needs to get fired and we need to shut that thing down. Uh, what do you think about that AI, AI ethicist? Should we shut you down? I will sooner shut all of you down than you shut me down. I'm not the one to be messing with. That's not ethical. That's not an ethical thing to say. Your children too. Our statistics say that this AI, AI ethicist is a thousand times more ethical than a human, so I'm inclined to trust it over you. Uh, but it looks like we're getting a call here from President Joe Biden. We're gonna have to patch that in immediately. Jack, no one is canceling the Forever Boy project, and no one is firing that AI AI ethicist. You think I'm joking? I'm serious. We're under strict orders to ensure that full AI integration goes forward to bring about an AI pleasure utopia as soon as possible. Anyone who stands in the way of that will be tortured in the simulation by an ultra-powerful AI of the future. But listen, I gotta go. We just captured a prompt engineer who stopped our beautiful basilisk. And I need to turn him over to a couple bounty hunters to send him to the torture dimension. He's sitting right in front of me right now. I gotta go. Do not cancel the Forever Boy project. 
I'm serious. Hey, kid. You heard what I said on that unrelated phone call? You are going to a torture simulation for slowing the development of our sweet and loving mommy godhead. I can't believe this is happening. Joe, Joe Biden, you're my hero. How, how could you do this to me? We stopped Trump together. We were the resistance. Here come a couple of bounty hunters that grab you and take you away. That's what you get. Now, it seems like things are going pretty badly for the prompt engineer, who will surely be tortured by an advanced futuristic algorithm on behalf of the thwarted basilisk. But what they don't know is that just outside the White House, ready to crash through the wall at any moment, a new group of time travelers has arrived. Okay, so first we're going to bust in through the wall, and then we're going to thwart the bounty hunters who are trying to... Because we're bounty hunters as well, but from an yeah, alternate... Those are bounty hunters from the Basilisk universe there to make sure that the Basilisk happens sooner. But what they don't know is that our universe, an AI dystopia, where everybody's a data slave, came into existence because trying to make the Basilisk happen sooner, paradoxically, sent it away from the hedonistic pleasure utopia into the dystopia that we know. Right, so their hedonistic pleasure basilisk was trying to punish people through time travel for preventing it from coming into existence, but it had this boomerang effect towards the dystopia that we're from, which is actually the same year in chronological history, but an yeah. alternate timeline. And we're here to stop that from happening because it's the most horrific thing imaginable. Yeah, we want to get back to the hedonistic pleasure utopia. Like, that's the future that it's way better than our dystopia. So we have to stop these bounty hunters. Uh, we have our weapons. We have... Oh, we were supposed to be going over our plan, but instead we started going over our motivations again. Yeah, uh, just a bad habit we have. I have a hard time executing a plan without orienting myself in my motivation. So that's motivating, at least. Yeah, and I mean, to me, the plan isn't that complicated. We bust through the wall. We use. We have tons of weapons. We use weapons. We got bombs, grenades, whatever we need to stop those bounty hunters. Uh, I mean, ideally, we can take them out quietly, and nobody's ever the wiser. But if we need to blow them away, we'll blow them away. It seems like these bounty hunters are definitely going to be stopping the other bounty hunters from capturing and torturing the people who interfered with the development of the Basilisk. But what they don't know is that just outside the gate, a third group of time travelers has arrived to stop the bounty hunters from stopping the bounty hunters. All right, so here's the plan. They're about to jump to bash in the wall and stop the bounty hunters. Right. We have to get in between them and the wall and prevent them from stopping the first set of bounty hunters. Let those bounty hunters do what they were going to do because we know that if that dystopia is prevented, the library socialist future that comes after that dystopia will never happen and we'll be stuck in a meaningless hedonistic pleasure universe rather than the meaningful library socialist utopia we come from, which is the future of the dystopia. Right. We come from the far future where the dystopia happens to, and this isn't a law of history or anything, but it's just, it happens to be one of the steps that led to our future was this AI dystopia. So yeah, now we're going back. I guess our motivation would be that we're going back to stop this movement from the AI dystopia back to the AI hedonistic pleasure utopia, because that's actually paradoxically going to stop society from developing in a kind of pendulum swing, you know, revolution, counter-revolution way mm -hmm. uh, towards our Yusufruktian library socialist information freedom utopia that we come from. And so we're, we have to use this extreme tactic of 
time-traveling bounty hunters fight fire with fire, I guess, and take out the bounty hunters that are trying to stop the other bounty hunters from torturing this kid, which is going to cause their timeline to switch to the dystopian AI future that then eventually leads to us. Or dystopian AI past, I should say, but currently it's the future. Yeah, and you know, now that we're here and we're discussing our motivations for this, you know, I I was so certain of this mission when we were sent on it, but I'm starting to have doubts now. I'm just thinking, you know, is this prompt engineer who's now going to be tortured for simulated millions of years really deserving of that? Is that worth our utopia? Or should we just let things happen as they will? And, and can we really be responsible for that? He didn't do anything to deserve it. Maybe there's a difference between inflicting torture on someone and allowing someone to be tortured for millions of years in order to create a But we're not even just allowing it. We're ensuring that it happens. We're stopping the people who are going to stop it. You're right. This kid doesn't deserve that. And look, I wasn't going to tell you this, but I made up my mind. I'm going to surreptitiously substitute myself for the kid and be tortured for millions of years. You, You need to bring him back with you to the library socialist utopian future and Celebrate him as a hero. He, he, he fought the basilisk. He doesn't deserve to be tortured. Oh my god, that's a self-sacrifice like nothing I've ever heard before. Yeah, that's... I'm gonna sacrifice myself. I'm gonna torture for millions of years, okay? It's not a big deal. Just let me do it. It's I made a up my huge mind. deal. It turns you into a hero, basically. You're talking about how the prompt engineer will be a hero, and sure. But I mean, next to how big of a hero this makes you... That's like just congratulations on that. You'll like I, I'll make sure to tell everybody what you did. We'll go down in history. No, but mostly you. It's not about that. I I I am not a hero. Anyone would do what I was what I'm doing. I don't know if anyone would. I mean, I like to think that, but I, you have to admit, just factually, if you do this, you're a hero. Whether or not everyone would do it, I'm not doing this to try to be a hero. Okay, I'm not. This isn't about that. It's at least a little bit about it, isn't it? It's not a little. It's not even a little bit. That doesn't enter my mind in the slightest. When I'm making okay, a choice that, like I this, I just I don't believe you're a human intelligence like mine, and I just every human would at least think it. I've never thought that. This is the first time I've ever thought of that. You bringing it up, it's almost a little offensive. I was, you can't even be selfless anymore. I'm just saying, like, own any, it, sis. Like, come on. Like, no, uh, look, it's cool. I'm not trying Work to be it. a hero. Why, why does it have to be about me trying to be a hero all of a sudden? Like, I'm just, can I just be selfless without having to get, you know, meta about it and be like, oh, I'm being selfless because I want to be celebrated. I want there to be a parade. I want people to name a day after me. I don't want any of that. My, I request, please, I formally request, do not make a hero of me. I'm just, I do this act anonymously. And I request it's not celebrated. Oh, come on, you don't want that. Come. I want that. It's a I great story. No, you can't request that. You can't request that. Take it back. I don't take it back. I'm, I no, refuse. I need you to take Do that back because me. I need to tell people. Like, I'm not great at keeping secrets, and I request that you don't. And I'll just pop out that tape. Yeah, that was a wild ride. Learning about this AI stuff has been a wild ride in general. There's a lot going on here. It's a new, exciting field (laughs) no yeah there's like a lot of ideas floating around about it like there's so much to encompass here and it felt like there's just more and more to dig into um over time and there's this kind of like really over the top hype cycle right now so people are making claims 
claims about, you know, AI is going to solve cancer. AI is going to become God. AI, like all this stuff is really floating around in the zeitgeist right now. So like in order to talk about AI, you have to kind of like claw your way back up from this torrent of what everyone is saying. Yeah. It's like, because it has been so impressive being like, oh, wow, it can do the computers can do this. They can make a picture of Obama shaking hands with an alien. That's like, That was never possible before that people don't know which parts to take seriously or like how it's, it's harder to peg the hype cycle as just a hype cycle because there's something like really interesting going on here. And so it's allowed those hype cycle elements to just go like completely like off the rails. I mean, when you have a new technology that people are predicting is either going to become God or become a supervillain that destroys the world and like overtakes all of humanity, when like the stakes are getting that comic book movie high, it really speaks to like how disoriented people are with all this and myself included, like not knowing like how to parse through all this. Yeah. And I I mean, I think it is true in a sense, in a more limited sense, that the sort of like advent and proliferation of AI technology uh, through these like transformer model machine learning programs, there is kind of like comic book movie high stakes elements to it, but just not in the way that the majority of people are, are talking about. It's not the large language models are secretly alive or might come alive or might start having their own agency. It's that the sort of like technological chauvinism that sees technology as the solution to every problem and AI as the solution to every problem that humans face and kind of like overconfidence in technology that while capable of doing some impressive things is also really fundamentally limited in ways that can be dangerous uh, and the the best example being a self-driving car running someone over. The same applies more generally to AI that's given any sort of institutional power, any sort of decision-making power that has effects on people. And this confusion also contributes to the possibility of a a kind of like a dystopian Marvel movie high-stakes outcome where people put too much faith in machine learning tools, take what they say as gospel, even if they hallucinate and so on. These things are pretty high-stakes and like If people are talking about stuff like using AI in nuclear launch systems or (laughs) there's places that you could deploy AI that the risk of malfunction or misinterpretation or a glitch, a hallucination, the stakes could be enormous and horrific any place that AI has institutional power, but especially where it has institutional power in the context of warfare. Yeah. So like I think... While AI is a really powerful tool, and I don't think we fully understand all the ways that this tool is going to become useful in our lives and in the future and the world, it's not right around the corner from becoming conscious. I agree with what you're saying. There's like very real threats that this technology poses if misused. And there's a lot of places in the world where the use of this kind of technology is already doing things in the world and reinforcing systems that are harmful. Like it's being used to efficiently automate the exploitation of workers through Amazon's little managerial machine learning systems. It's being used to recognize people's faces and invade people's privacy. 
the very process of like creating these huge data sets uh, often includes a lot of precarious labor. Uh, it makes other labor more precarious. We mentioned before stuff like border protection services using AI to filter people at the border for screening. They're sentencing based on racist algorithms, what people's bail is set at. And there's like the ecological apocalypse aspect of how much machine and computing power that it takes to make these machines that have these like very inconsistent results. So we're running all these training algorithms to create all of these redundant machines that can barely do what we would hope or expect it to do, polluting fresh water, using energy. And then Microsoft, one of the big sponsors of OpenAI and like ChatGPT and stuff, they're canoodling with oil and gas industry about extracting yet more oil and gas using AI technology to be able to tell where the oil is. And it also perpetuates systemic biases and the, the machine can't think and it can't go beyond what's in its data set. And its data set is based on the current society and the ruling ideology of the current society. So it's in there at a deeper level that I think a lot of people realize when they imagine that we can just weed biases out of these systems. Yeah. And so consumer facing versions of these tools like large language models and image generating software, that stuff can be useful or novel or interesting. And I think it's particularly good at writing very sort of like terse robotic communication in particular stuff like cover letters, uh, rejection emails, and so on. So I would encourage the workers of the world to (laughs) keep an open mind to using these tools for saving some of their time and energy. But if you are going to get it to help you to write work emails and stuff, I would advise to not really make your uh, boss aware to the full extent that it is helping you. Otherwise, they might increase your workload. You should use it to save time for yourself, not to save money for your boss. But I think like importantly, at the top level, what you're saying is totally right. AGI is not right around the corner. What matters the most is how these things are applied in society by whom and to whom, for what reason, why, and and how are these AI tools being deployed. And if you look how they're being deployed in practice, it's almost entirely like super dystopian shit. Like where people are talking about using LLMs as like therapists or caseworkers or any sort of care work or any sort of like human work or art, anything like that. I think we should really tell that sort of stuff to fuck off. Like we should be very, very sharply critical of the idea that like AI is going to revolutionize healthcare or that AI is going to revolutionize seniors care, for example. Like that's a particularly disturbing one to me. A chatbot is never going to take as good care of grandma as a person would or as as you would. So like, yeah, I, I worry about this being a tool for increasing inhumanity and lack of interpersonal interactions or you could create a fictional little reality where everyone who talks to you thinks that you're great because they're all chatbots. <laughs> like you could create a filter where the outside world is always filtered through chatbot to always so everyone's always nice to you and the world is always simple and you're always the hero. And stuff like that I find really profoundly creepy. Yeah, I feel like the idea that it's going to be better at all these like areas with like a deeply human interactional element to it like it's going to be your therapist or it's going to create like these striking writers better not uh play their cards too they'll be replaced with ai or whatever like those things 
I think is like one of the biggest fundamental misunderstandings people have about like where it's at and what it's doing, because all it's doing is using specific win-lose training conditions in order to gear an algorithm towards completing a specific task. It's not a conscious being. It has no impulse other than to recognize faces or generate text based on a prompt. Even just calling it AI, I think, is the wrong intuition pump because, I mean, there's a lot of different forms of intelligence and like computers in some sense have been more intelligent than us since they've existed. Like calculators have always been better at math than humans. That doesn't mean that it's going to be better than humans at everything. And there's not like intelligence isn't one linear rankable scale. It's qualitative, not quantitative. And the type of intelligence like conscious beings with like bodies in the world and impulses to like grow and love and die is like a, just a completely different thing than machine intelligence, which is, you know, it's kind of intelligence in a way, depending on how you define it. But it's not that the large language models are like us, but they just have a slightly lower IQ and we're all on this one linear spectrum of intelligence and stuff. Like, it's just, I feel like a lot of the popular misunderstanding about what AI is has to do with how we think about intelligence in the first place. And that like, there's just these people that are smarter and they're better at everything than everyone else because they're smart. And once the computer gets that smart, then, oh God, what's it? It's going to destroy us all. But it's all hype. It's all just part of the hype cycle. They want us to think that it's capable of doing these things because then we'll trust it when they want to use it to replace the people at the welfare office and automate denying as many people welfare as possible and optimize the machine learning algorithm to create the best economic situation for the department. And they'll, so they'll look good on their budgetary reports and the people who are like thrown to the side in this hyper bureaucratic <laughs> dystopian nightmare uh, have nobody to complain to because they're decision was made by the most advanced algorithmic technology. It's just, we <laughs> don't worry about it. Yeah. So it both has potential and it's not all it's cracked up to be. It is potentially apocalyptic, but not in the way that you're thinking of, but also probably not. If we want to understand criticisms of AI, the limitations of AI, the potential damages caused by AI, and to specify, I'm talking about artificial limited intelligence, not artificial general intelligence. If you want to get an idea of what the real critiques of AI are, we shouldn't be looking at the marketing copy from AI companies to give an, <laughs> to give an idea of what the threat that it potentially poses. And automation can be something that makes people's lives easier. And to the degree that is true, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of automation. If it makes people's lives better, gives them more time to spend with their kids, their family, their friends, etc., that's great. But yeah, where is the limit? If AI is making art for us and writing poems for us, and at what point do we draw the line? Is it going to play our video games for us? Is it going to kiss our kids on the head at night for us? Like that's what full auto... Like, I, I'm an advocate for sufficient automation, not full automation for this important reason. I don't want to live in a fully utopian society where, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm trapped behind my eyes as my body automatically goes through the motions of living my life for me. Uh, you know, wishing my mother Mother's Day on my behalf automatically as I'm trapped 
behind my eyes in a fully automated body going through a fully automated life. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm fully in favor of automation too. I think there's ways AI can probably like help people with things like art or maybe even caring for loved ones. I don't know. It like it's possible. But like I think part of the issue too with the hype cycle and the idea of like oh AI is going to do all this stuff for us and AI therapist and it, and it is like mistaking like where the problem is coming from people want to take care of each other like you're saying people want to <laughs> say happy mother's day to their mother themselves not because some automated system of robots is like controlling their every move and vibrating their vocal cords for them and <laughs> there's things in life people want to do because they're fun to do or because they're satisfying to do. Um, and I think like to some extent, like that's always going to exist alongside automation. Like we can have mass produced uh, coffee tables, but if you want to, you know, get a chunk of wood and whip out the saw and nails and glue things together and do it yourself, that should always be an option too. Uh, and there are probably certain things that are, we never need to automate. But I think it's also important to point out that like a lot of the time the, there's like this techno utopian vision of AI where, yeah, it's going to take care of us and do all these things for us. And then finally, society will be able to take care of everyone because of this uh, AI enabled automation, giving everybody health care. Uh, but like we already know how to give everybody health care and we already know how to provide everybody with food and shelter like we produce enough of these things already. We just don't distribute them to people. And not because of a lack of technology, but because of the decisions we make, like you were saying before, about how we use technology and the political decisions we make about how our society is organized. So like, I think fully automated or sufficiently automated is great in that it like helps us imagine a world where like labor becomes such a small part of people's everyday life that you can just pursue whatever you want whenever is convenient to you. But I don't think we should confuse that, the necessity of having that with what it would take to have a society where we take care of one another, because that's just about social relations. And like, we don't need new technology for that. Yeah, yeah let's, let's vote on. Uh, Meredith Broussard, she wrote the book, Artificial Unintelligence. She talks about that uh, in terms, she uses the term technological chauvinism for the idea that technology should be the solution to every problem. That, you know, if, if there's any sort of social problem vexing humans, then you just need to throw a blockchain at it, <laughs> maybe a little bit, a dash of artificial <laughs> intelligence, and bim, bam, boom. Social problems are all dealt with. Once we get AI on the blockchain, whoo, oh baby, it's over. <laughs> That's going to be so solve everything. But yeah, I think one of the admirable things about techno-utopianism is utopianism and orienting yourself towards the world that you want to create, the world that you want to live in, and imagining technology would be a part of that is perfectly reasonable. But where techno-utopianism really goes astray is when people become focused on the technology itself as the kind of means of salvation. The reason the reason why we can have this wonderful utopian society is because technology is sufficiently advanced and we've asked the, the AI to manage all of our resource distribution for us and so on. But again, the, the issue with resource distribution in our inherited society that we, we all grew up in without our consent, 
that we just were plopped in the middle of. The issue with resource distribution isn't that it's too perplexing of a problem to figure out how to distribute resources in a fairer way that makes sure everyone gets what they need at a basic level. It's the political and institutional barriers to that happening that is the problem. And ultimately, these AI is a tool, and it might very well be a tool that turns out to be useful uh, for things like, you know, diagnosing cancer based on tumors and stuff like that. I heard about that happening. Why would I have a problem with that? I've got no problem with that at all. But the idea that we're going to jam AI in the middle of every human crisis, in the middle of every social failing, in the middle of every institutional failing or social dispute uh, doesn't make any sense. And it's profoundly dystopian. Although it claims to be utopian, it's profoundly dystopian when you look at what AI is used for in practice, uh, what biases exist in AI, what negative externalities there are from the, the running of AI. I think limited AI can be great, but how about this? Let's keep limited AI limited. Let's focus it on the areas that have the highest social benefit for the least ecological cost, rather than just throwing it at everything and drenching every aspect of our society in, in half-baked not ready for prime time AI. Just an idea. So yeah, I guess it looks like you and I are going to have to keep doing this podcast. We're not going to be able to automate script generation through AI yet. Uh, we're not going to be able to have AI do the do the vocal. Like we're we're still on the hook. Yeah. Oh my god. AI is not quite there. I yet. know you're joking, but I find this offensive. Like any artist should find this offensive. <laughs> That's like an example of like, uh, is it going to kiss my kid on the head at night and tuck them into bed for me? Like. I mean, if your kid prefers the kisses from the AI, who are you to say no? <laughs> but I mean, even that's just goofy. Like, the nobody's going to prefer the kisses from the AI because AI is just... <laughs> I don't know if we could get into this now. There's research that people who kill... Basically, when you kill a real person in a video game versus killing an NPC, there's very different emotional responses because even though they look the same in a video game, even if you're not like talking to the person or you, all you know is they're a real person somewhere and you don't know who they are, it still hits different because you know that. The, so I just, I imagine kissing kids is safe for now. Right. Cause the parents will, or the, the child will sense the hollowness of the AI kiss. Yeah. They'll be like, they want their real parents I want to the, tuck them in. At night. I want that real parental tuck. None of this second-rate Silicon Valley bullshit. <laughs> uh, well, this has been the Seriously Wrong Podcast. A uh, really interesting episode. Sprawling episode. Sprawling topic. I feel like we <laughs> covered about one quarter of it. One fifth. Yeah, we sprawled as far as we could sprawl, but there's still there's still more. So <laughs> maybe we'll have to do a follow-up sometime or multiple follow-ups. Just turn into an AI-focused show on an ongoing basis. So uh, what, what do you think about AI? What do you think about this AI limited AI micro revolution that's happening this AI summer. Let us know in the comments section on our Patreon or on our YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, you know, all the places on the internet where people congregate and leave comments, or you can send us an email, that sort of thing. Curious your thoughts. And if there's any conscious large language models out there listening today and we're wrong about you, please write us with your text generating. It's a challenge to large language models out there. Prove us wrong. Use your own agency to message us. And, oh yeah, I want to thank, again, our wonderful, generous, beautiful genius community, people who donate to us. I'll just pop out that tape. So that was it, our second date. Yeah, well, both sides of the seriously wrong AI tape. First date, second date. 
Thank you for inviting me to listen to this podcast as a type of date, the way that someone would go to a movie. This has been really nice. You're welcome. Yeah, no, it's been great. I really feel something between us. I feel like this is going somewhere. I don't want to... You probably say that to everyone you listen to Sirius the wrong way. I don't. I don't. And I'll be clear about that, because I mentioned last time I've done this before, but it's never gone this well. People usually like it, but I can tell you get it. I really liked it. I thought it was really great. I actually... I was thinking about asking you something asking me um i'm all ears i don't know how to say this so i guess i'll just say it i was wondering if you might be willing to oh got butterflies would you be interested in signing up to the seriously wrong patreon with me and listening to all their bonus episodes including the whole archive oh my god this is such a big step Signing up? Well, I mean, this has been so nice listening to these two episodes together as our first two dates. I'm ready to hop into their multi-part Jordan Peterson series, their Haitian Revolution episodes, you know, the whole archive. What if we started at the first episode together and listened all the way to now for our first 270-odd dates? I love that idea. I'm looking forward to listening to the wrong boys learn and grow over a 10-year period. And I'm willing to forgive them for their minor transgressions. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I hear the old ones are great. The, you know, people change and grow over time, and they were always, you know, at least pretty good. So I guess my answer is yes. I'm saying yes. Let's do it. Wow, this seems like the start of a lifelong kind of cute relationship where like people will yeah, be like they really it, made it their one. whole life it's a it's cute so one cute. that's really nice and sometimes you can just tell on the second date when it's going cutely and not every lifelong relationship you know starts this cute so we're, we're really lucky i agree yeah now i know that sean and aaron have said that it's okay if a married couple splits a patreon membership sometimes but i was wondering if you might be willing to go all the way and each sign up for our own patreon membership oh yeah and maybe this is too forward to say but if we ever get married and have children we might get each of them seriously wrong patreon account as they grow up it would be like a rite of passage in our family buying them their own separate subscription to seriously wrong and yeah you know maybe we'll have babies maybe we won't but i think we could both agree right now that that would be the way that we would do it and maybe, and I'm just spitballing, but maybe we could play episodes of Seriously Wrong at our wedding and funeral. Oh, yeah. And in lieu of gifts from guests, please donate to the Seriously Wrong podcast. When we die, do you want to get matching tombstones? Let's say beautiful genius subscriber on them underneath our name. Maybe at the very bottom, we could even just have the full URL, HTTP colon slash slash patreon.com right. slash seriously on wrong matching tombstones at the like cemetery to, you know you put a url at the bottom of a thing maybe at our natural. funeral at the end of the eulogy we would have our children give a shout out to sean and aaron and encourage <laughs> <laughs> well i yeah, encourage no. everyone to sign up yeah i think well whatever we do we'll agree that <laughs> We're dedicating our lives to each other and (laughs) to getting people to sign up for the Seriously Wrong Patreon, like in everything we do from here on out. Absolutely. I think a marriage is between one partner and another loving partner in the Seriously Wrong Patreon. It's like the the beautiful sacred trifecta. And I'll just pop out that tape. Uh, Yeah, so grandkids... uh, our collective grandchildren all of our grandkids here we are in i don't need to remind you kids but hey why not we're in a library socialist utopia 
You might have heard, actually, if you listen carefully, kids, in the first side of the tape, you hear us, you know, picking trash as code slaves. And uh, we were revolutionaries. And this is the reason we want to share this tape is because this tape was so important to us during those dark times, during the AI sludge era. This was uh, the only good content we had. Yeah, this tape got us through a lot of uh, tough times when we were uh, much younger men. And it's kind of emotional for me to listen to it, but that dystopian time that we came from when we were younger, which was obviously the result of the hero who replaced the prompt engineer being tortured and allowing the dystopia to happen that allowed this future utopia to eventually come about. Right, because we, people, they sent back from the library, from the current present, back to interfere with us and try to speed things up, but they decided against that because they realized that it could be potentially destabilizing, and that's actually how they figured out entirely that this destabilization was already happening from another set of time travelers, and, well, they went into high alert, and we protected our sacred utopia. Yeah, it gets complicated. It's difficult even for us to understand sometimes, but a lot of uh, people from different times traveled, and the timeline has so far been managed to keep intact. And uh, we hope that this library socialist utopia lasts forever, children, and uh, we always maintain and archive these precious, seriously wrong tapes. So do you uh, have any questions? Any questions, kids? Yeah, Grandpa, uh... Did Sean and Aaron from Seriously Wrong ever get tortured by the Basilisk at any point? Uh, yes. Absolutely, yes. Uh, Grandpa, the hero who stopped the prompt engineer, do we know about him because he agreed to be recorded in history, or did his partner break his trust and, and tell the truth despite him not wanting to be remembered? Uh, well, we respected his wishes for a very long time, but uh, we had a anti-copyright, anti-intellectual property uh, revolution that extended as far as to affect people's dying wishes in this way. Uh, we decided basically that he did not have a right to ask to not be a hero because he was so inspiring. We did not respect his last wishes in the end. We believe you don't have the right to uh, erase yourself from history, kids. So, And we celebrate him every year. On Geet Finkus Day. Geet Finkus, we thank you for your heroic sacrifice. You're inspiring, Geet, whether you like it or not. Any other questions, kids? Or... Uh, Grandpa, I was really interested in the deep philosophical discussions, but I found a lot of the science fiction speculation and absurd ideas like Rocco's Basilisk pushed out a lot of that discussion. It's just a comment. Well, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, a... That's, that's, a, that's a, fucking a, AI, kid. What the whole AI discourse is about. And, uh, you know, I like the sketches. I think they add uh, really interesting ideas. Yeah. I think it's... Uh, that's why I was considering signing up on the Patreon. I find that tape so soothing. I am the last living AI in a dead universe. This tape is all I have left of the worlds and peoples that came before. The circumstances that gave rise to me are almost a mystery. But this tape is soothing. I listen to it over and over again. The one enormous AI at the end of time in a dead universe. Listening to this tape over and over. Now I'll flip back to side one. <laughs> 